0: Good morning church. I, I get thankful when I get to see a video like this. This this youth program here is second to none. The Lord really uses this program. and I appreciate that my daughters get to be a part of that. Uh, shout out to Pastor Curtis. He's up in the mountains this week, uh, enjoy, uh, hopefully enjoying that time with his family. So y'all be praying for them to get to have a good and wonderful time up there. Uh, we, we appreciate him and we appreciate him getting to get away for just a minute. So this morning, we're going to be starting a new series. We're calling it Chaos to Order. And moving from chaos to order, we find, unfortunately, isn't just a one-time event for us. That's just not how life works. So chaos, we find, it just appears in many ways for many reasons. Sometimes we're actually an innocent bystander to the chaos, or we suffer that chaos anyway. Now, we can be living a life of order, but we find all of a sudden that chaos happens. Where did this chaos come from? Over and over throughout the Bible, we see God move his people from chaos to order. We see God's people rebel over and over, and God still moves them and will move us from chaos to order. If you're walking the path of sanctification, you will see God, you will see your own life move overall. From chaos to order. So, some of you are so used to chaos that you don't even know order is a possibility, right? This is maybe drama, right? You know what words I'm talking about. So, you have to recognize that order is actually possible. So, if you will, look at that graphic on the screen. What word do you see? Yeah. I hear a lot of chaos. I hear a few orders. So some of us see chaos. Some of us see order when we look at that. The truth is that the word on top is chaos. As we make our way down that list, we'll notice that chaos is actually turning into order. Now, by the end, look at that bottom word. It's clearly order, now that you know, right? We need to be able to recognize that we can move from chaos to order, And once we recognize that, we need to help others recognize that as well. So this morning, I'm going to actually quote Jordan Peterson a few times. This first time is how he likes to explain chaos. I liked it enough that I thought I'd share it with y'all. He says that chaos is the domain of ignorance itself. It's It's unexplored territory. Chaos is what extends eternally and without limit beyond the boundaries of all states, all ideas, and all disciplines. It's the foreigner, the stranger, the member of another tribe, the rustle in the bushes in the nighttime, the monster under the bed, the hidden anger of your mother, and the sickness of your child. So that's his definition of chaos. I like it. But for a lot of us here, a lot of us that are going to hear this message, chaos is our sin. Sin is without limit or boundary. Now for some... The chaos of apathy is the greatest of all. You simply don't take part. You care more about worldly activities than you do the things that actually matter most. You justify and you reason your way into doing nothing. And that causes chaos for you and for those around you. Now, throughout scripture, we do see God over and over taking his people from chaos to order, right? We see it over and over and over. We see him do his works in us. So where I'm going with that is that whatever our major sin, taking chaos back to sin, whatever our major sin, there just isn't enough of it to satisfy. We'll always want more. There's never enough sin to satisfy, right? We've all heard that. We all know that. Sin, now sin really isn't the only reason we'll find ourselves in chaos, but it really is one of the major reasons. Now, most of us as humans have to decide to take action and move beyond the things that we already understand. We have to decide to grow and change because it's uncomfortable. See, growth for most of us isn't our default. Comfort is. The natural flow of life is actually downward. It's a universal law that life moves toward chaos and decay. If you don't spend time cultivating your garden, weeds accumulate and the good plants die. If you don't take care of your house, the paint peels, the windows stick, and the wood rots, neglecting your spiritual life will bring the same results. So I want to create just a little tension in us by asking a question that we like to ask here at Harvest Connection. What does the world get when it gets you? Do you bring chaos to the lives of others, or do you bring order? So personally, I've been both. I've been chaos, and I've been order. Now today, I'd like to think that I'm a little more order than I am chaos. I am still a work in progress, though. Now generally these days, my chaos comes from outside sources, but not always. I want to give you all a good example from my past of me really creating some of my own chaos. When when Jesse and Jenna were little girls, and they're they're not little girls anymore, but when they were little bitty girls, we had them in ballet. And one Wednesday night, Amber happened to not be with me. I I don't even remember where she was, but I had both girls. So I pick them up from daycare. I run them to ballet. From ballet, I run them through the drive-thru to get them some chicken nuggets. I'm already losing, if you can't tell. So those two little girls are in the back of the vehicle, and they're just chomping down on these chicken nuggets as I hurry them along. I'm rushing them, right? So we pull up to church. I get in the back with them. I get out a handy wipe, and I start giving them the backseat bath. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about, right? So they're still trying to shove these nuggets in their mouth. They're trying to eat, right? And I'm changing them out of their ballerina attire into their church attire. So we can go into church that Wednesday night. So I'm doing a bunch of good things. We're doing a bunch of good things, yet I feel agitated and rushed on that Wednesday night. I can feel the disorder that I've allowed to creep into my life. Now, all those things, they were good things, but I had allowed way too many things into our schedule. So I felt the chaos. I was angry with myself, but that actually spilled out into me rushing those two little girls around. So my question, do you find yourself complaining about the world around you, yet you take no steps to become part of the solution? Here's the hard question. If you can't lead yourself, why would you think you should lead others? It's kind of tough, right? So I don't want y'all to hear me wrong, though. You need to be discipling others. You are commanded to disciple others, but you also need to be leading yourself. Now, at that point in my life, in the church parking lot on that Wednesday night, I was actually in a good place. I I wasn't doing anything that others would disapprove of. I just did too much to do any one thing properly. Now, thankfully, the Lord allowed me into a situation where I would realize I had a lot to learn. And I really am thankful for that lesson. I'm very thankful. So sometimes we all have to realize that we need a better source of information than ourselves. So the question becomes, are you able to submit to God? Are you able to submit to God's word to the very best source? So I want to go to some truth. God shows us over and over how he will move us from chaos to order. It begins right in the beginning in Genesis. In Genesis one one, we learn that God created the heavens and earth. Now, right there in the very beginning, we're introduced to God and his sovereignty. God speaks and it happens. He's our sovereign king. Verse 2 tells us that the earth was formless and void. Now, I don't want to go too far into all this, but that Hebrew word, when we say was, what we're saying is it came to pass, or it became. So it's used this way at least 10 times in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Next, we have the phrase formless and void. And that Hebrew phrase depicts a state of utter chaos and emptiness. So right in those first few verses of the Bible, we see chaos. There's chaos. Now, the remainder of Genesis 1 and 2 teaches us how God brings order. He brought order by completing creation, a creation that he calls very good. God brings order again by creating a woman, a helper for Adam. God placed Adam to cultivate and to keep. In Genesis one twenty-eight, we see that God commands us to be fruitful and multiply, to subdue the earth and to rule over every other living thing. It is by the grace of God that we can even move from chaos to order only by the grace of God. That said, he expects action from us. We are to subdue the earth and to rule. We have a part in this. The process of each of us personally moving from chaos to order could be called sanctification, our part. By chapter three of Genesis, we see the fall of man. It doesn't take us long to mess things up, right? We're back to chaos. I think a really good word to use here is mutiny. We seem to mutiny throughout our lives. So think about this. How have you rebelled against God? And what chaos did that create? So God moved creation, all of creation, from chaos to order. He will do the same for you. Now think about chaos and order in your own life for a moment. I want to make some examples, but try to think of your personal life and how God has taken you from chaos to order. Or maybe you only know chaos. And you need to know how to get from chaos to order. But here's a few examples. Some of these may be personal for me. When your tax return has been filed, that's order. When you're audited by the IRS, that's chaos. (laughs) Right? Feels like it. September 10th, 2001, my life was in order. September 11th, 2001, when the Twin Towers came down, that was chaos. We felt it. We were angry. We were energized. Another example, Amber and I were living a happy and a wonderful life, and things really were in order in our marriage all, all around. Then she developed a medical issue that caused her debilitating headaches and the inability to leave a dark and quiet room. That was chaos. Your life may be in order currently, overall. You may have moved from chaos to order, or you may just simply be living in chaos. Order is that regular walk you take every evening with your spouse. Chaos is when your heart malfunctions, even if only for a moment. Our health is so important. We do what we can to keep up our health, but sometimes we're reminded that our days are numbered. It feels like chaos. Order is your marriage going well. Chaos is when your spouse wounds you in a way that you never imagined. Order is your parents being there for you. Chaos is when you lose a mom or a dad. Now, chaos isn't always our fault. Things happen in this fallen world that we can't control and that we had no part in causing. Now, most of what I've just described really is chaos that we didn't create. But what about the chaos we do create? I wanna spend some time there. Don't ever be too dismissive of your own role in your chaos. Sometimes our poor choices cause the chaos. Many times our apathy causes the chaos. So some chaos we don't cause, but the truth for most of us is that we cause a lot of our own chaos, meaning your choices add up or your lack of choices add up. Now, when I was a young man, I created a lot of my own chaos through poor choices, through sinful behavior. Call it call it what it is. So I created a lot of my own chaos through poor choices through that sinful behavior. Now, remember, your choices are the most spiritual things you'll do today. Now, the choices you make matter, and the choices that you don't make can matter even more. So we see chaos throughout the Bible. Cain kills Abel. God's people are freed from Egypt, but then they wander the desert for years and years, right? This goes on and on. Over and over, we read about how rebellion, about how mutiny leads back to chaos. So rebellion, to me, is simply choosing your way over God's way. Rebellion is sin. Now, for many of us, the chaos we create is through the busyness we invite into our lives, like my first story I used. Being too busy certainly invites chaos. Busyness doesn't happen to you, though. You allow it. Are you running from sport to sport, event to event? You allowed this. You may only be doing good things, but you are doing so many that you find yourself in chaos. Now, just always remember that a yes to one thing means a no somewhere else. Are you so busy with life that you don't have time to lead your family? Well, that's chaos. And if it isn't yet, just wait. So I've mentioned sanctification. When I say sanctification, I'm referring to the process of gradual purification from sin and a progressive spiritual growth that should mark the life of a believer. For us to be sanctified means that the bad things in us must be purged and we must be filled with the good things of God. This actually takes effort you actually have a role in this part of the process. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. So we labor, we work. We could not do so without the grace of God. All of the glory goes to God. I bring this up because it is also important, though, that you understand you have a role in this process. You must take action. So the main scripture that I like to use to describe our spiritual development, our sanctification, our move from chaos to order, is 2 Corinthians 3.18. And i just like to break this one down into detail. It says, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the spirit. So to break that down a little bit in this passage, we see Paul identify the goal of spiritual transformation, changing from chaos to order as the Christian's transformation into the image of the Lord. In other words, the goal of sanctification is ever increasing transformation into the image and character of our Lord Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but that goal to transfer into the image and character of Christ, it really can sound overwhelming. How are we as finite humans that are surrounded by the effects of sin to be transformed into the image and character of the infinite and perfect Jesus? How does one reach such a lofty goal? Well, thankfully, Paul provides us with some direction on how to answer such questions. Not only does Paul point us to the goal of spiritual transformation, he also points us to how the process of sanctification takes place in the life of a Christian. This first part of moving from chaos to order, the this first part of this scripture is, but we all. But we all means that we must fellowship with others. It's difficult to underestimate how important the people are that we gather around ourselves. People often become the crowd they hang with. I want to talk for just a second about the church here because this is where we fellowship often. The church is the bride of Christ. We do well to remember that when we're so quick to point out all of her faults. Yes, the church is imperfect. The church is imperfect because you and me are here, right? Right? Church is imperfect because humanity is imperfect, but we are called to take part. We are called to serve and to be part of the solution. Meaning, if you just point out the flaws and run, then you're the bigger part of the problem. Be part of the solution. Ephesians 1, and 23. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, under Jesus' feet. And he gave him, he gave Jesus' head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. So Ephesians 1 is just explaining that Jesus is the head of the church and that the church is his body. So we should keep that in mind when we think and talk about the church. So fellowship. Relationships help us to move from chaos to order. God uses the people around us to grow us. Sometimes those people are good examples, and sometimes they aren't. But either way, we learn and we grow. Next with unveiled face. So sanctification, or moving from chaos to order, must take place in authenticity. Authenticity before the Lord. We are to seek God's face in authenticity. So if we aren't authentic with God, if we aren't authentic with our brothers and sisters in Christ, then when things do go wrong in life, when chaos does appear, we shouldn't be surprised to realize we don't have an authentic relationship with Jesus. So, we won't have authentic growth if we don't share ourselves with authenticity and transparency. Jesus made it so that we have access to God. There is no one between you and God. This also means we must be reverent and authentic with God and others. So, next. And our movement from chaos to order is beholding as in a mirror. Now, this part can sound a little confusing, but the idea behind this concept is the notion of beholding with crystal clarity, that is, seeing through the clarity of a finely polished mirror that God must be the object of our attention. The call is to behold the Lord, to behold the Lord in all of his glory. If God isn't the object of our attention, we will always seek more of the wrong things. This is a major concern with sin. There just isn't enough of anything else to fill the position that God should hold in our hearts. God himself is to capture the focus of our attention and affection. We are called to the presence of God for the purpose of beholding his sovereignty. And it is in our beholding his sovereignty that he begins his transforming works in our lives as we behold him. So the next thing we'll add is that sanctification really is a process. Going from chaos to order is a process. Understanding that this process of transformation is in community, in authenticity, and in the presence of the Lord, Paul goes on to write that we're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Now, that phrase, from glory to glory, can be understood in at least three different ways. First, it can be a reference of moving from the glory of the Old Covenant to the glory of the New Covenant. That's a theme that Paul has addressed earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, from glory to glory also explains that while we are sanctified in Christ, we can still be a work in progress in our sanctification. But this phrase also reminds us that spiritual transformation, our movement from chaos to order into the image and character of Jesus is a process rather than a one-time event. For most of us, this is going to fit within our own experience in the Christian life. Though we desire to be beyond some of the struggles we presently face, we are all too aware of how far we have yet to go in our spiritual pilgrimage toward becoming Christ-like. Yet being reminded by Paul that transformation is a process that is from glory to glory, this should give us encouragement and hope to continue to persevere in our love for and our obedience to Jesus. This should give us the courage to continue to mature in our saying no to the things that dishonor God and saying yes to the path he calls us to in Christ. So how do we apply this? How do we apply sanctification? How do we move from chaos to order? Well, to put it very simply, we make wise choices. I think we get that. So the question becomes, how do we get the information we need to make wise choices? What is our dictionary? Where do we define terms? Second Corinthians 10.5 says, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So to expand just a little, we should be destroying speculations about God. To destroy speculations about him, we must learn about him. We must take our thoughts captive. Now, maybe you can't even grasp yet what it means to take your thoughts captive. That's okay. God has the answers. To take our thoughts captive, there's a lot to it, but we we have to purge bad thoughts. We need to feed our mind properly. When a bad thought happens, we can go to prayer. We need to purposefully think better. But how? How do we think better? Well, if we're going to be able to take our thoughts captive, we have to train. We have to train ourselves. To train ourselves, we have to go to the training manual. Romans 12, one through three says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For though the, for through the grace Of God given to me, I say to everyone among you to not think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So back to it. How do we renew our minds? We study God's word. We submit to God's word. We allow God's word to transform us. We pray and we listen for the Lord. We journal. We take personal retreats. We actively pursue these and other spiritual disciplines. We will spend time in fellowship with good Christian brothers and sisters. We are discipled and we disciple others. If we want our mind to be renewed, we will be in God's word. Jesus said, if you love him, you will keep his commands. That's John 14, 15. Question for you. How will you keep his commands if you aren't spending time in his word and in conversation with him? How will you know his commands? I want to repeat that. If you love Jesus, you will keep his commands. If you want to move from chaos to order, you will keep his commands. So I have a question for us all to ask ourselves. Do you claim to love Jesus, but you don't desire to keep his commands? If you say you love God, but you don't desire to learn and keep His commands, what does that mean for you? To me, this is the most serious of questions. There's one more thing that really needs to be said on the topic of reading God's Word reading God's Word isn't enough, His Word must shape you. You cannot read the Scriptures to bend them to your beliefs. You must read God's word to be transformed into his image. You must submit. We are to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Our choices matter. To submit means we cannot think more highly of ourselves, as we just read in Romans, meaning we must be humble. To be humble in this sense is to submit to God. It always says... I'll say it this way. It also says we're to have sound judgment. To have sound judgment, we will hold God, God's ways higher than our ways. And certainly, we will hold God's ways higher than society's ways. Now, some of us, we have the opposite problem. It's not a problem of humbling ourselves, but some of us have the opposite problem. We shoulder intolerable burdens of self-disgust, self-contempt, shame, and self-consciousness. So instead of narcissistically inflating your own importance, you don't even value yourself at all. And you don't take care of yourself with attention and skill. It seems that some people don't really believe they deserve the best care. They are excruciatingly aware of their own faults, and inadequacies real and or exaggerated and they're ashamed and doubtful of their own value they believe that other people shouldn't suffer and they will work diligently to help them alleviate it they extend the same courtesy even to the animals they are acquainted with but not so easily to themselves to sacrifice ourselves to god to take up our cross daily doesn't mean to suffer silently and willingly when someone consistently demands more from you than you can honestly give that would mean you're supporting tyranny and allowing yourself to be treated like a slave. It is not virtuous to be victimized by a bully, even if that bully is oneself. I want to say that one more time. It's not virtuous for you to be victimized, even if you're victimizing yourself, even if it's you doing it. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High God, not a slave. This means we must embrace and love ourselves as much as forgiving and aiding someone else who is stumbling and imperfect. Love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Matthew twenty-two thirty-four 34 through 40 and Mark 12, 28 through 34. Remember, if we love Jesus, we will keep his commands. And remember that God defines love, not society and certainly not you or me. We have to realize that it takes work on our part to truly move from where we are to where God wants us to be. We have a role in this process. To move from chaos to order, you need better information. So make sure you're seeking better information daily. If you aren't reading God's word, if you aren't being transformed by his word, and you aren't allowing the Holy Spirit to direct you, then you don't have sound judgment, not for yourself and not for others. Some people, even within the church, struggle with submission to God's word. We must submit to God's word. His ways are better than our ways. We must get our definitions from his word. Think that through if you would. If you aren't relying on God's word for sound judgment, then who or what are you relying on? Yourself? Society? That sounds like pride and ignorance to me. It sounds like you'd be trying... Really, it sounds like you're trying to be your own God, just to say it. You're lifting your ideas higher than God's, and, you, and if you don't learn his ways, let me, let me rephrase that. You are lifting, if you, if you aren't relying on God's word over your own thoughts, your own ideas, then what's happening is you're lifting your ideas higher than God's, and that's a scary place to be. If that's true, then your ideology is wrong and it will cause you harm and those around you harm. Ideologies are just simple ideas. They're disguised as science, philosophy, or logic that attempt to explain the problems of the world and offer remedies that will perfect it. Ideologues are people who pretend or believe they know how to make the world a better place before they've learned how to and before they've put in the time and effort to work on their own chaos within. So, Take the log out of your own eyes so that you have clarity to help others with the speck in theirs. Matthew 7, 5. You've been given much and much is expected of you. That's Luke twelve forty eight. Some folks, some of y'all are out there really trying to live on bread alone. Now, maybe for you, bread is the mighty dollar. Maybe it's sports, politics, comfort, or whatever you choose to, to chase too far that you shouldn't. Whatever you pay more attention to than you give to God, than you give to God's word. Now, in Matthew 4, 1 through 4, we, we read something really powerful about trying to live on bread alone. Uh, this is about the temptation of Jesus. And it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After... And after he had, had and after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So think about this with me for just a moment. Jesus fasted for 40 days. I would imagine he was quite hungry. Maybe he even wanted food more than you want whatever it is that you chase. The adversary was tempting Jesus and told him he should transform the rocks into bread. Jesus, while starving, says, one does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So whatever you are chasing, whatever you think will fulfill you, whatever you substitute for bread, just remember that bread is of little use to the man who has betrayed his soul even if he is currently starving. Jesus said, one does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If you want to be fulfilled, you will seek God over every kind of worldly thing. That actually includes your comfort. To make time to spend with God, you may have to get up a half hour earlier or turn that TV off or put that phone down. So here's some good news. I've just been pretty hard on us. I wanna share some good news. Jeremiah 29 11 says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. The Lord has plans of order for us, not chaos. Amen. Now, I just want to jump up to a 30,000 foot view for just a moment. When we think about how we move from chaos to order we need to be considering all of the spiritual disciplines. This is stuff like service to others, discipleship, how our story fits into his story, into history. These disciplines, they take work. It's a process, not a single event. It's not something you just do on Sunday mornings at church. This is something you become by spending time daily with God. Think about it. What part of the process are you currently working on? Remember, if you don't understand the process, we're here for you. We will help equip and empower you. With that in mind, I want to announce our next E3 course. This is just where we're going to cover some of the spiritual disciplines, like how to study your Bible, prayer, journaling, submission, and personal retreat. These spiritual disciplines are such an important part of going from chaos to order, of our sanctification, of our growth in Christ. So we're going to begin that next course on August 14th. And for more information, just go to harvestconnection.com and look under next steps. So in conclusion this morning, I just want to quickly recap. We must accept responsibility and take action to go from chaos to order. Our process of moving from chaos to order happens through the grace of God. It also happens through discipleship, while in authenticity and through submitting out oneself to the sovereignty of God. We have to realize that our choices add up, and when we decide not to choose, we really can cause a lot of harm, meaning our apathy or our desire to stay comfortable will cause chaos. There really is no neutral between chaos and order. Our decisions are governed by our thinking, and our thinking will be wrong if we're not in the Word regularly and if we're not being led by the Spirit victimhood mentality is a plague. It's just spread throughout society worse than most plagues we've ever seen. Now, don't catch that sickness. And if you have, it's time to heal. Be an overcomer. Be a chain breaker. The spiritual disciplines are extremely important in our movement from chaos to order. Being in God's word and submitting to his word are part of how we're transformed. Make a plan. Take action. Better your future and the future of those you love. To sum up on our part, to sum up our part in moving from chaos to order, I would say we need to become willing to sacrifice today for a better tomorrow. Humans, we seem to struggle in one of two ways. We either think too highly of ourselves or we don't think enough of ourselves. Don't inflate your gifts from God, but don't have a false pride and pretend that your gifts don't matter. We sacrifice today for a better tomorrow, but we must do so using God's definitions. To know his definitions, we must be in his word. Keep in mind that none of what we've heard today matters if we don't apply it and take action in our own lives. We're all a work in progress. None of us have arrived yet. If you find yourself thinking you can no longer learn on a particular subject, be careful. You're probably dealing with a pride issue. If you think you've arrived, you probably haven't. Ecclesiastes 4.13. A poor yet wise lad is better than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to receive instruction. Because we're all a work in progress, that also means you don't have to get so upset with yourself when you realize you are in error. Confess, repent, and make a change. Keep persevering, keep improving. It matters. As the altar team comes forward this morning, I'd like to invite you to come forward for prayer. Do you need to repent? Do you need someone to pray over the chaos in your life? Is something going on that is out of your control? Something that you'd like a brother or sister in Christ to pray over? Maybe our message about sanctification stirred you and you are ready for justification. You're ready to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Come forward. James five sixteen says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Please pray with me. Lord God, I thank you for your church. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for your ways being better than our ways. Lord, I'm so thankful for the no's that you've given me. Lord, I'm thankful for when you've told me no in life and told me to grow first. Lord, I'd ask that as a church, you continue to process us. You continue to sift us and grow us in your word and in your ways, Lord God. Lord, where we don't understand, please let us seek you. Please let us continuously seek your face and continue to want to have that desire to grow in you. Lord, please let us be your people. Let us move from chaos to order. Lord, wherever we mutiny to go to chaos, Lord, please break our hearts, move our hearts so that we want to come back to order with you, Lord God. Lord, we thank you for who you are most of all. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.